This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. All right. Today on the show, we have the legendary coach and physiologist, Dr. Jack Daniels. I am so excited to share this episode with Jack. This whole high school coaching series has been sponsored by V.02 which is a program based on Dr. Jack Daniels' life's work researching how runners get faster. VDOT workouts promote healthy, responsible, and beneficial sessions while simultaneously preventing overtraining. And Dr. Jack Daniels and I talk about that a lot in this episode. The importance of hard work, but not working too hard, not overtraining. If you have been a runner for any number of years, You have probably used some of Jack Daniels' running formulas and techniques, maybe without even realizing it. Dr. Jack Daniels was named the world's best coach by Runner's World Magazine. He's coached hundreds of people, and he's mentored and coached some of America's top distance runners in the country. He was an Olympian himself in 1956 and 1960 in the modern pentathlon, and his life's work became figuring out how to run faster, how to run more efficiently, and how to determine training paces, all those things. This series is supported by V.02, and if you are a coach at any level, I highly recommend you checking it out. Just go to v.02.com to learn more. You can use the code COACHLINDSAY to get 20% off your annual subscription. And if you have any questions, just email info at v.02.com. Now, pass this episode along to anyone who you think might think it's cool to hear a conversation with the one and only Dr. Jack Daniels. Please enjoy my conversation with Jack. And his wife, Nancy, pops in just a little bit at the end as well, which was super fun. Enjoy. All right. Well, hello, everybody. I am so excited to wrap up this coaching series, this high school coaching series sponsored by V.02 with none other than Jack Daniels himself. Welcome to the show, Jack. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We have been having so much fun with this series, and V.02 has been such a great supporter of um, my podcast overall, so I'm so grateful. And, you know, this really all goes back to work you started how many years ago 60 the v dot work was probably done in the six in the 60s yes wow that's so cool so i think that if you're listening to this show you've probably heard of jack daniels in some way shape or form listeners are using formulas you created years ago and they might not even realize it and i'd love to just start the conversation by like, where did your passion for running start in the first place? My interest in running training? Yeah. Well, because my my sport was modern pentathlon. And most people don't even know what that is, but it's five events. Horseback riding, fencing, pistol shooting, swimming, and running. 
And of all those events, my worst was running. I, in high school, I was on the swim team. And during my early years, I used to go hunting all the time. And so I was pretty good at shooting and swimming, but I was terrible at running. So I directed all my research toward learning how to be a better runner myself. And that's where it all came from. And you were a medalist in the 56 and 60 Olympics in the team division of the pentathlon. So it's hunting, swimming, running. Do they still do that sport? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's had some rough times. They're talking about dropping it from the Olympics. Really? Because some somebody apparently in a major competition had, was mean to the horse they were riding. Oh. And, and we can't have people beating up on our horses. So they were talking about getting rid of the riding event and replacing it with something else or just dropping the event completely. How does that make you feel? <laughs> well, they've already changed it some that's not as good as it was. The riding event was my best event by far, and they've changed it to where it's not not very de demanding at all. Mm. So when you started researching and learning all these things, like, did you have any idea that what the work you were going to do and the, the research that you were going to do would turn into formulas that people would use decades, hundreds of years? I mean, this is going to keep on going well past your time. Did you have any idea that it would turn into this? No, no idea at all. I, I just enjoy testing athletes. And the, the really good athletes are really good people. Uh, and to be around them is really, really nice. And for them to be willing to be tested all the time. You can't believe how much time some elite athletes, Olympic athletes, spent helping us to design and develop our program. And when you say that, you're talking about figuring out the V.O2 formula. Right. Okay. And so I know this might feel like a very basic question to you and even to some of our listeners, but when we talk about VO2 max, how would Jack Daniels ex explain what that even is? VO2 max means volume of oxygen at maximum work. Okay. And how many minutes can we do that? You could probably uh, do it for maybe 10 or 12 minutes. Then you have to do something less intensive to keep it up. Do you think that when we get real scientific about it, it can take away the stress or anxiety of performance when we know, like, I know what my body is capable of because I've tested it this way? Does that help? That should help. But most, most people don't realize that it's training is not that demanding. Mm-hmm. It, it is, in, in a way, in a long-term process, it's demanding. But on any given day, the demand of the workout should be within the capabilities of the individuals. And it varies tremendously. I, I coached one girl, college girl, who never ran more than 30 miles a week in her life. And she won nationals in cross-country. Wow. Most most people wouldn't believe that. 
that you couldn't do that with that, with that low of a VO2 and with that little bit of training. Would you say that most people overtrain? <laughs> overtrain, <laughs> that's a good... That's a good term. Uh, it just depends on how how fast you're doing different intensities of training. Because repetition training, which is fast, usually isn't going doesn't go on for more than twenty or thirty seconds at a workout, and then you get a good recovery. Intervals are a little bit longer workouts and a little bit less recovery and threshold is more recovery than ever. So it just depends on the type of training you're doing, how hard you should be doing it, and how much recovery you should do. A lot of people, when they recover between, say, 200-meter runs, they'll, they'll just sit there and rest to do the next one. But you actually recover quicker if you exercise during the recovery time. Okay. In other words, jog during recovery rather than just sitting down. Why is that? Because you're, you're what you're doing when you recover is you're removing lactic acid from the system. And you, you can remove it more quickly if you're exercising a little bit than if you're just sitting there. You know, that's interesting. I, I naturally would tend to just jog my recoveries. And athletes that I coach, I use VDOT O2 myself. I always put the jogging recovery and, you know, I think that's something interesting about being a coach is we've learned a lot of things like how to do things, but understanding the science behind it is super helpful. And I don't know for all these years, if I knew the exact science behind why I'm having people jog, I just knew it felt better when I jogged. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's good. Any, any workout you can do that feels better. Anytime you have a a choice, I say, between a workout that's going to be hard or not so hard, choose the less hard one. Oh, really? Yeah, lots of times that, that, that comes to mind. Should I do this or should I do that? And when, when there's a question in your mind about it, choose this easier one. And why, why is that? Because you'll get it done. And uh -huh. you'll, and you'll do it well. I love that. Rather than failing trying to do something hard. Yeah, what would you say to someone who might be working with a coach who, and they feel like, man, I feel like I'm working too hard, I'm pushing too hard, um, and I'm running too much. If you had an athlete come to you in the years that you were coaching with those questions, like, what would be the best approach? Wow. <laughs> if, if somebody came to me, I'd tell them, let's do this. And if what this is less demanding, then that's good, I think. But you have to be demanding in some of your workouts. They're, they're going to hurt you. You have to understand that some training doesn't always feel good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some training is very demanding on the body. It's a function of how long the workouts are and how intense they are. So there's always a combination of intensity and duration, and if you if the the important factor in a particular workout is to improve speed, then maybe the workouts should be shorter with more recovery. But if the if the endurance is the factor, maybe we do not so intense, 
but longer work bouts and less recovery. Let me ask you one more um, workout question, and then I kind of want to move to the relational side of, of coaching. I see different coaches prescribe different things for different people, and obviously that depends on age, experience, all those things. Um, but for a seasoned marathon runner trying to, you know, maybe break three hours, like run a pretty quick marathon, um, maybe they've done six or seven marathons. What is the most amount of marathon pace miles in a long run that you think is effective but not overdoing it? Oh, I, I, I think on a long training run, you mean? Yeah, like if you're doing like 20 miles with X number of miles at marathon pace. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's hard to do too many miles at marathon pace, but it's good to do some of them at marathon pace rather than just jogging. Because you never, your body's never getting a function about how hard is this marathon going to be. But if if it's the pace is too hard and you're hurting after only thirty minutes, then you're doing it too fast. Mm. I mean, you you got a couple of things to consider. One is what's the intensity of the workout, and what's what's the level of feeling of the workout. You want to be you want workouts to feel good relative to the intensity. So you have to build to that because I've I've interviewed so many Olympic trials and Olympic athletes of that caliber. And, you know, some people I hear do like upwards of 16 to 18 marathon pace miles in a workout. But then some people I'm like, oh, no, they say I've never done more than 10 to 12. And it it really varies um, group to group, person to person. So I'm always curious what experts think of that. And, and I think it depends on the person and the experience as well and just what their bodies can handle. And I mean, perhaps how fast their goal time is would that factor in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an example of a poor marathon runner. <laughs> <laughs> What's never, your marathon time? I, I broke three hours. Okay. But you can't even believe what, what that marathon was. It was a marathon in the olden days. It was three times around an eight-mile loop, and I ran 2.58 and placed second, and the winner ran 2.35. Oh, my gosh. There was nobody for 20 minutes between the two of us. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that, things have changed a lot now because in the olden days when they put a marathon on, there'd, there'd only be 50 or 60 people show up, and now there are thousands. Is that wild to see that how much the running industry and culture and community has changed? Yeah, it is. It's interesting to see how much it's changed. The big benefit of it is health. Yeah. Because exercising makes you a healthier person. I was just listening to a podcast, actually. Um, I'm going to reference it so people who are listening can know. It's um, the Mel Robbins podcast, and the episode is called Get Your Shit Together. Um, This 85-year-old does more than you and me steal her seven amazing secrets to life. And um, one of the things that the woman talked about was that she still walks five miles a day, and that's a non-negotiable for her. And so you, 90 years young, how do you take care of yourself and, and try to remain mentally and physically healthy at your age? I I walk every day, but I only walk about 40 minutes. Okay. 
and I do weights, arm arm weights, and just to keep my body in some some kind of shape. It's it's interesting to to under, understand the benefits, how intense it should be. It shouldn't be that intense. If you're working, in fact, if it's a matter of some exercise, 20 minutes a day will give you more benefit than almost anything else. Mm. It's way better than, it's not better than 30 minutes, but it's, it's, it's the peak. 20 minutes is about the peak of benefit based on the amount of work put into it. I have to tell myself that when I'm going through something, when I'm recovering from something, in all the years I was postpartum with babies, like, just do the 20 minutes. Like, just do something. Something is better than nothing. Um, and it can be hard sometimes. So, you know, one of the things that I talked with Brian about on our podcast episode at the beginning of the VDOT series was the fact that so many people who have run for you or been coached by you or trained by you went on to be coaches themselves. And I think that speaks volumes for the work that you've done with those people. So I'd be curious to know, like, what are key principles and and ways that you coached people? To do things that they they can feel good doing, mm. have, have a benefit from doing. In other words, if every workout is hurt or is demanding, that's not too good. But if you can have workouts that are comfortable and still get to the work done, well, now, one of the interesting things related to beginning a, beginning being a runner is to learn to turn over at the right pace. Mm. A lot of people jog real strange, and they need to practice turning over more quickly. The slower your turnover, the more time your body spends in the air, and the more time it spends in the air, the higher it's elevating itself and uh, the harder it's landing back on the ground again. And the other thing associated with t- turnover is breathing. Huh. Learn to breathe with a what we'd call a 2-2 rhythm. Two steps breathing in and two steps breathing out. Okay. What what we do with young youngsters lots of times that are at camp we have them get on the track and we have them go four or five laps. And the first lap, we tell them to breathe with a 4-4 four, four breathing rhythm, four breaths breathing in and four breaths breathing out. And the second lap, go to a 3-3 three, three rhythm. And the third lap, go to a 2-2 two, two rhythm. And the fourth lap, go back to a 4-4 four, four rhythm. And then you tell me which was the most demanding and which was the most comfortable. When you start practicing this, I'm assuming it just gets to a point where it's it's just what you do. That's right. I mean, we we did a, my wife Nancy and I did a big research at the 84 Olympics where we, we counted stride rates of all the elite runners. And you can't believe how similar it was. Really? They just, they just all take about the same stride rate. It varies, it varies a little bit more with the 800 that, they turn over a little faster with the 800. But the 1,500 and the 5,000 and 10,000 and the marathon, they all turn over about the same rate. Huh. I do notice when I quicken my 
steps and try to be a little even lighter on my feet, I feel better. But I notice that I have to focus a little bit more to get my like breathing under controlled when I turn over quicker. Yeah, well, most most all elite athletes we've ever tested, when they're when they're working fairly hard, they're breathing with a two-two rhythm. That means two steps breathing in and two steps breathing out. Okay. And they do that during races. Now, sometimes every once in a while there'll be one that's that's taking two steps while they breathe in and one step breathing out. It's a 2-1 rhythm or a 1-2 rhythm. We found that to be the case at altitude because you need to breathe more at altitude. Ah. So you can increase your breathing rhythm a little bit. I wonder how that transitions, though, when you train at altitude and then you come down and you race at sea level. Oh, you'll feel way better when you come back down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and the whole thing about tur- turnover is you should be, if you're counting it, you should be taking about 90 steps a minute. Okay, and is that for an easy run, a workout run, or just always? For an easy run, 90 steps a minute on an easy run, you're just going to have shorter steps. Okay, 90 steps a minute on an easy run. And then 90 steps a minute even on an interval run. Oh. You're just taking longer steps. Oh, okay. The the, the important point here is that if you breathe with so many steps, Per minute, regardless of the speed, you're getting in enough air. So are you still like, what does your everyday look like? You said you run 40 minutes. Are you still researching? Do you read up on things? Uh, I I don't read up on things as much as I used to. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the fact that I'm still doing it. Jimmy Gilbert, the guy who developed the VDOT system. Yeah. He, he's unbelievable. He he just emailed me a year ago to say he had just run his 100,000th mile. Oh my goodness. He averaged he averaged 38.6 miles a week for 50 years. Wow. Now, we have yet to prove what that done for him. <laughs> but he's in his, he's in his 80s and he's doing well. I don't think everybody has to do that, but it's possible. And he's still running. Yeah. In his and, 80s. And, yeah, he's still running. And the interesting thing is we, we, we make jokes out of half of these things. When we say, how many days in a row can you run without missing a day? The easiest way to do that is to go to run at quarter to midnight. <laughs> and work until quarter after midnight. You got two days in a row. Oh, that is smart. That you is know, smart. Only doing one run. I wonder if anybody, any of the Daily Mile streakers do that. That's I had never thought of doing it that way. Well, it's kind of late at night is the problem. Um, so what advice do you have to coaches? Number one is to try to encourage the runners to run some during the entire year. Don't just hmm. take the summer off because it's during off season that you get in shape. During in season, you just race well. But during off season, you get your, you do the workouts that may be a little more demanding sometimes. Mm. Probably the, I think the single most important workout to do is repetitions. Like, What's an example? 
example would be like eight two hundreds. Okay. And you're running them. Repetitions are run at about your mile race pace. Okay. That's the, that's the speed of it. They're not not faster. You're not running faster because you're trying to be better. I had a friend who did nothing but three workouts a week for twelve years, and every workout he did was repetitions. He didn't do anything but repetitions, and they were all the same speed. And they were all a little bit slower than his mile race pace. And at the end of those twelve years, he ran a three fifty six mile. Wow! I want to get my hands on that training plan. I think this is something that the high school kids can learn to do: is in the summer do repetitions, short, fast repetitions. Yeah, not 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 too fast. No, but repetitions, in other words, short short workouts, one one minute to mostly about a minute in duration or 30 seconds in duration. And re- recover as much as you want. A, re- a really good way to do repetitions is to run repetition 200s and jog the other 200 to, to complete the lap. And you're jogging about twice as slow as you were running. Yeah, I mean... And if you think about it, if it's a, if it's like a one minute repetition or like a 200 around a track and it's right. your mile race pace, if you're only doing it for a minute, it's going to feel hard, but it's not going to feel like you're about to fall over. You no, know, that that's some people do. They try to go too fast. Yeah. Like all out. You can't do that. Uh, I had another college runner that in high school ran a 445 mile. And I asked him what he wanted to do in college. He said, I'd like to run 425. And I had him do nothing for 12 weeks, but 200s and a few 400s. And he ran 424. Wow. I think repetitions, the biggest benefit of repetitions is economy. You become more economical. Okay. Your your stride is quick and light and you're, you're not wasting time. I think that's the best thing to do in off season. Okay. And then when you get into the meat of season, focus more on the longer intervals and threshold. Yeah, right. The The way to keep some repetitions in is whenever you do a threshold workout, finish it with like four 200s repetition. Pace. Okay. Okay. It's, it's just amazing how how much you can do without killing yourself doing it it's amazing how much you can do without killing yourself doing it i love that that's so good (laughs) i'm glad i said something that's good (laughs) (laughs) um relationship wise though with coaching like what makes a good coach someone who you know makes people feel supported and encouraged obviously but are there certain things that you said to your athletes or certain certain coaches that you've also witnessed yourself that you're like, man, that's just a good coach. Uh, I I try to have fun with training. Mm. We we always, when I had my college team, every week I would give an award for the runner who I think had the best race that week. And we call that award a good dog bone. 
get a rawhide bone I would give them <laughs> each week. And we would have them try, try something you can try doing in a race because most, most cross-country races and definitely high school cross-country races, the runners go out too fast mm-hmm. and die. And they all go together. So the, the best person wins because the best person went out too fast, but everybody else went out, went out too fast too. So the same person wins all the time. So what I had my runners do in cross-country races is I tell them, today your goal is to see who can pass the most people during this race from the mile mark. Once you get to the mile mark, start counting everybody you pass. And whoever passes the most gets an award. Because everybody goes out too fast and then they die. And they got, well, the, the, the one negative thing about that, about going out slower, is that many times high school cross-country courses are designed to narrow down to a single file. Ah, uh, yeah. Going through the woods or something like that. And you can't pass anybody. That's too bad. But I'd say we need to learn how to... I think one of the best ways I've had people race a mile is to run the first 400 meters about three seconds slower then you think you can race for the mile. Okay. And then run the next 400 meters at a pace that's about three or four seconds faster than the first 400. And then just do what you can to finish. <laughs> Hang on tight for the end. <laughs> You'd be surprised how, how well it works if you go out slow and then pick it up, pick up the pace later on. The way, it, the way it usually goes, everybody goes too fast, so nobody knows what it's like to go out slower. Well, especially for a mile, especially like a lot of our listeners here are, I would assume, half marathon and marathon runners. And so when they think running a mile, they're like, I got to go all out from start to finish. And it's really hard to reel that in because in reality, when you're a marathon runner, a, mar- a mile is so short. Yeah, <laughs> They've definitely got to learn how to go easy. Yeah, I, I've been in that situation. We have a, back in Indianapolis, I used to live in Indianapolis, and they had a, a race called the Monumental Mile, which is super fun. And I think I ran it like three times. And every time, I was hanging on for dear life in that last half mile. Like, whew, it's hard because everybody else jumps out the gate too, you know? Yeah, that's right. I, I, I coached a pretty good runner one time. And he was training for his first marathon, and he said he wanted to run 214. Woo, that's fast. And he was a pretty good runner, but he had never run a marathon yet. And I said, your training kind of suggests that maybe a 218 or 19 would be better. So why don't you do, do me a favor, and you go out the first 20 miles on a comfortable pace, and then at the 20 miles, try to pick it up. And see what you can do. He went two fourteen. Did he run the two fourteen? Yeah. Cause he because he listened. He went out slow. Yeah. 
he was he was upset because it was the pace was too slow. I wouldn't call that a bonk for your first marathon if you hit your goal time and you felt okay. I remember when my wife was running at University of New Hampshire. She was 100, 100th place at the mile mark and won the New England Cross-Country Championship. Wow, 100th place at the mile mark? Yeah. It's I think Nancy needs, Nancy needs to hop on and tell us about that race. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> I, that's... He, he just told me uh, to run my pace and not go out with the leaders. And, and you just can't let everybody in front of you psych you out. <laughs> but then how did you mentally stay strong enough to, to get there? Everybody dies, and it's really easy to pick people off because <laughs> they're all dying. You just pick them off one at a time, one at a time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's so much depends on the, the course that you're running on and the weather that you're dealing with. I mean, we ran one time at Nationals, and it snowed five inches five days before the race and then it got to be 50 degrees and all the snow melted and it was a mud bath the whole way well that was nationals that was nationals yeah and one one of my girls ran 95th place and we still won because other teams ran so terrible oh wow okay so it sounds like your advice to high school coaches is teach those kids to not go out too hard Exactly right. <laughs> and and they can work on that deal where they count how many people they can pass in a race. Yeah. And the, they can pass more if they go out slower. Yeah, one of Jack's championship Division three teams, I think the whole entire team was in last place. That's right. At the mile mark. Yeah. We, was it? I... I I had measured off the first 800 meters, and I told my women, this is a women's race, I told them I wonder how fast I wanted to run the first 800 meters. And they ran the first 100 meters at the pace I told them. And they were the, they were the seventh last runners in the entire race at the mile mark. And one of them won it. Oh, my gosh. The team won the whole team. Wow. Yeah, not many, but you have to learn to train at the pace and know your pace, and that comes with practice. And you can't freak out everybody in front of you and just you got to know that you're going to catch them because they're going to come back, and you just let everybody go. And uh, you just know that you're going to get them. Yeah, you know, I think that that's, it's such a experience things thing, too, with the marathon. People are so scared to try to negative split because it feels scary to think, I can run 13 miles and then run 13 miles even faster if I do this right. And we know that works, but it's really scary to believe in it for yeah, some reason. One one thing I've found that works sometimes 
my college runners, we'd, we would go on a Sunday long run each week. And you can get pretty tired on a long run, especially if it's two hours. Yeah. And one thing we tried doing was if you're going for a long run and you start to feel really tired, start doing some intervals. Huh, yeah. Just just go, go for a minute kind of hard and then slow back down. Then you'll be able to do that better than you will just run. Just kind of wake you up a little bit? Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. And then, like, if you do two or three and you feel better, just go back to your easy pace? Yeah, yeah. Basically, you're, like, throwing some extended strides in there? No, not that fast, though, huh? No, no. <laughs> and another issue on long runs is wind. Yeah. Because if you're if you're going on an out and back run, you'll have to have the tailwind in one direction and the headwind in the other direction. You can't possibly run the same pace. Right, right. I I used to when I used to coach in Oklahoma where it's quite windy often, on for long runs I would find out which way the wind was blowing and put the team on the bus and drive the entire team out where they could do a 10-mile run with the wind the whole way. Oh, that feels nice. Not too many people can do that, I don't think. <laughs> but what are the benefits to running into the wind? Oh, running. Well, you just got to understand that you're going to be running slower. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. Don't, yeah, don't try to go faster because you're actually working harder. We, we, we did a study one time where we had the runners run a mile and we we marked on the on the road and we marked every quarter mile with paint so they could measure their pace we had them run north at a certain pace let's say they were pretty good runners we'd have them running north at a 6 minute mile and then take a 5 minute break and run south at a six hundred mile. And we measured the wind velocity and which one had the wind and which one didn't. And it's just amazing what you can do if you bet you gotta assume that you're gonna go slower against the wind. My um second fastest marathon was in a very windy conditioned race <laughs> and I remember standing in the porta potty before and I could just hear the wind howling. <laughs> thinking oh and to this day i'm like what could i have run on that day had that wind not been there i mean it was like i think it was like mile 22 and you're just like running into the gusts of wind and oh you know you can't change time but i i think back to that day and think i was fit for at least five minutes more than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah running into a headwind is terrible terrible it's so hard. It's like running, running uphill. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll wrap up here. Um, you know, I always ask this question when I end the podcast, and I think it's interesting, even more interesting maybe asking someone who is in, would you call it the last quarter of your life? <laughs> um, you're, in your, you're well into your fourth act. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> if we break it up into quarters. Um, like what is something 
Is there anything that you haven't done professionally or personally that you'd still like to do with your life? I never thought about it. That's something I'd have to think about. <laughs> I, I just want to have have enjoyable times with my wife and my two daughters. That's the most important thing to me, though, those three people. Oh. Do your daughters live close? No, that, that's... One of them lives in Brooklyn, New York, so that's four mile, four hour drive. Uh huh. The other one lives in Seattle, Washington. Ooh, that's not close. That's not close at all. So we we seldom ever get them both together at the same time. We might go meet one of them at a certain time and another one at another time. How does it make you feel when people describe you as the world's best running coach? Oh, I don't know. I guess. Uh, Different ways of describing anything. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. It, it's all a matter of what what determines somebody to be the best. Huh? Is it how well people that they train, how well they run, or is it how they feel when they train? What's the important factor that determines who's the best coach? Okay, and do you? read or listen to audiobooks? I always ask, what's the best, most recent book you've read? I, I don't read. I'm not a reader. Yeah. Really, I'm not. He read Seabiscuit. <laughs> well, what would be your last message to leave with our audience today in this coaching series? Not not overtrain. Mm. I, I would say train, train reasonably. And consistently, and be willing to take a break with your from your training. You can still you can take probably a month or so off if you have to. But take time off when you're hurting, or or sore, or sick, and don't overtrain. Train reasonably, and you'll you'll probably train more often. Jack Daniels, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. All right, friends, thanks for being here today. Thank you, V.O2, for supporting this series. Go check out VDOT, see all they have to offer at V.O2.com. Use the code COACHLINDSAY to get 20% off your annual subscription. And email them, info at V.O2.com, if you'd like to learn more. Thank you for listening to the series. Thank you, V.O2, for supporting the series. If you ever have a coach you want to hear from in the future, send me an email, lindsay at sandyboyproductions.com because I am sure we will do more coaching series in the future. Thank you for handling my raspy voice during this episode. I am coming off of a cold, and so I understand that my voice is a little bit raspy today. Uh, thanks for being here, and we'll see you on Friday on I'll Have Another Podcast.